If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. It's up on the screen. We are <clears throat> we're starting a new, just three-week series on who is the disciple. Um, and, and so that's where we're going to be for today uh, in the next two weeks. In the Great Commission, Jesus gives the command, go make disciples. The word disciples appears about 268 times in the New Testament, referring to believers. It's a common word found in churches today, as it should be. The problem is, do we even know what a disciple is? Like, do we really know? I mean, we could probably say, well, it's a follower of Jesus. Um, it's a fully devoted follower of Jesus, maybe say. We might say it's a Christian, and those answers are right. But how would we go deeper into that? We say, well, a disciple is a follower of Jesus, and that means... How would we go into that? And so that's what we're going to spend today in the next two weeks looking at. And uh, so I've already cried to two people today, but I'm not really crying. So just here, it's my allergies. I have a handkerchief and everything. So if I start tearing up, now sometimes I do anyway, but I don't think that's going to happen today. Uh, so just I'm throwing that out there because it's just weird when you're like tearing up in front of people and you're like, man, they just think I'm crying and I'm not. So uh, you could pray that my, my head holds it all together right now. Um, so hopefully it does. Uh, we're going to do something else different today. When um, we had the prayer summit a couple weeks ago, we did a Q&A time afterwards. And so we're going to do that today after the sermon. Uh, we want to hear your questions. I can't promise that we'll answer all your questions. Uh, and I can't yeah, so I can't promise that even if you give us a question that we'll answer it or we'll get to all of them. But we do have a means of just during the sermon, you can just text him right up. Phil's got his phone, and so it's going to go to his phone. That's not his normal number, so you can't text him at 3 a.m. Uh, and just for fun. Only you should try. But so you can text your questions in uh, that way. And, and maybe I'll fall so we can always do hands or something like that. We'll probably just do a few. Um, but just wanted to make that in this three-week series, we're going to be doing that because I want to make sure that we understand this. And I will do the best to answer all of them. If they're too hard, Phil answers them. But uh, so hopefully that will just be fun as, as we go through that. And my prayer is that God uses this series just to encourage us, to challenge us, and change us. We're looking at what is a disciple? Who is a disciple? This is who we are for a Christian, so it's important that we know who we are. And so I'm going to pray, and then we're, actually, let's read the word, and then, uh, and then we'll pray. So I'm going to ask that you stand, and we're going to read a larger text today. And so if you need to sit down throughout this reading, that is okay. We're going to read from chapter 4, verse 7, to chapter 5, verse 1. And it says, Behold, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loves us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. 
So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now, and this is a massive passage. It tells us so much about you and what you have done it tells us about who we are and how we are to live. God, I just, I just pray help. Help me at this moment that it's your words that come forth. It's your message. Change the, the sermon in whatever means it needs to be changed so that it's what you would have come out, Lord. And Father, I pray, just give us ears to hear today. Change our hearts. Make us more into your image. And help us to truly know who a disciple is. In your name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. So it's a big passage. We're certainly not going to be able to hit everything, although I tried. So it's a little bit longer, possibly, uh, but we're going to, to dig in. And primarily, we have uh, four questions. Uh, who is God? What has he done? Who are we? What do we do? And so that's going to be kind of the, the progression that we make. And so we're going to start out with the question, who is God? And in 4.7, we see that love comes from God. God is the fountainhead of all love. Love flows from him as naturally, a, naturally as water flows from a fountain and as naturally as light comes from the sun. Why is that? Because God is love. It says that in verse 8 and verse 16. We're told he is love. Love is not just a characteristic of God. It is the essence of God. This is different than saying that person is loving. Because you know, we may, we may display love at times. We may act loving, but then literally, in seconds later, we may be extremely hateful. So we are not loving. For, for, when, the God said, for when the word says God is loving, it means everything that he does is an act of love. There's not a single action God has ever taken, will ever take, that will not be done out of love. This means the creation of the world was an act of love. The flood was an act of love. The choosing of Abraham was an act of love. Israel's 400 years of slavery in Egypt, followed by the Exodus, was an act of love. The Babylonian captivity was an act of love. The destruction of the temple in 70 AD was an act of love. And we could just go straight through history and list every single thing, and God allows these things to happen that in love that he might make himself known. Now, in our finite minds, we have a hard time understanding how some things are loving. And I say that as I'm right there with you. But neither do our children understand when we discipline them that we do so in love, right? Like they don't understand why we punish. We punish them because we love them, and we want them to grow up in a correct way, a way that understands authority, a way that loves others. So while we do not always fully understand, and often we do not, understand what God is doing and how is an act of love. We have his word 
that reveals him to be loving, that shows him as holy, that shows him as perfect. So even when we struggle with knowing, why is this happening? Why is this happening in my life? How did this take place? Or how is this catastrophe taking place in their part of the world? How is Thailand having problems with the government when we're trying to go to Thailand to get our son? Like how? God is loving, and he is loving. I don't understand at this moment how that is loving, but he is. And I have to trust that in his infinite wisdom, he is doing something far greater than I know. So who is God? God is love. It's important for us to know that. God is love. So what has God done? In all of his love, what has he done? In verses 9 and 10, John makes it crystal clear. Verse 9 begins, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. So John is literally saying, I'm about to tell you how God has clearly revealed his love. And he says, by sending his son so that we might be saved. And notice the words, only son, or possibly yours says, begotten son. God revealed his son, revealed his love by sending his only son. He didn't love a little bit. John is saying this is how God revealed his love. He's not choosing some minuscule way to show how God has revealed his love. He's saying we know that God is love because he sent his son to the cross so that you and I could be saved. God did not love a little, but he loved extravagantly. In verse 10, he sees that it was not merited by us. God did not owe us love. He was not in debt to us. And so he's like, man, now I've got to send my son. But we're told that he sends his son when we don't love him. It was when we were rebels, wretches, miscreants, outcasts, aliens, and strangers. That's when God lavishly poured out his love by sending his son. And so why did the father do this? We're told to be the propitiation for our sins. Now that's a word that we don't use a lot. I'm guessing you didn't say that today to your children or to your husband or your wife or you probably didn't use it last week. But propitiate is to remove. And at the cross, Jesus removes two things. Number one, he removes our sin. He takes our sin and he places it on his, in his body. He takes it. And number two, he removes God's wrath. And this is the primary thing here. To, Jesus is the propitious offering, the wrath-removing offering. Because of sin, God has wrath against us. And there's nothing we can do to remove ourselves from that wrath. So Jesus comes that the wrath of God, rather than being poured out upon us, he would absorb it in his body at the cross. So God revealed his love to the world by sending his only son to die on the cross that you and I could have life. That's how he revealed his love. In Isaiah 53, this is how Isaiah wrote about this day 700 years earlier. He says, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. You get that? Like God loves so much, he lovingly crushed his son so you and I would be saved. He willingly sent his son to the cross as our substitute. That's why we can say the cross, it is the most extravagant picture of love this world has ever seen. It is the most extravagant picture. When you wear a cross around your necklace, don't let, or around your neck, don't let it just be some trinket. It's cute. 
That is the form, that is the, the symbol of the most extravagant way God has ever loved through the death of his son. When we have crosses in churches, some have it, and it's just like this icon. It's like, we can't have church without a cross, and, and we, we kind of just get sucked into having some wooden beam, and we forget the cross is in the church because it shows the most extravagant way God has loved, and it's the most extravagant way anyone has ever displayed their love in this world. It's at the cross we see God has loved us. So what has God done? God has revealed his love for us at the cross. God is love, therefore everything he does is love, and the greatest way he has ever displayed that love is at the cross. So who are we? Referring especially to disciples, referring to saints, referring to believers, referring to Christians. We're God's children. And John 1, 12 and 13 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And I love this. Uh, who were born not of blood, nor the, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. It's all God's grace. In 1 John 3, 1 and 2, so just earlier in the same book that we're reading today, He says, and we were here just a couple weeks ago, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. Just let that resonate through your soul. John is saying, if you believed in Jesus, if his grace has come upon you, you've repented, and you believe Jesus is the Son of God, you are the children of God right now. His hallelujah. God sent his son that we, by faith in him, would become sons. That's the whole thing. We become children of God. We're part of the family. The son of God went to the cross so we who believe might become sons of God. Because of God, and he is love, and he revealed his love by the sending of his son to the cross, we become a part of his family. So this means God's love is a transforming love. Remember in Ephesians, we were there right about a year ago today. In Ephesians 2, Paul writes, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. He's describing about people before they come to have faith in Jesus. So this is every single one of us before we were saved. And he writes, we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath. Well, that doesn't sound good. That's not children of God. Prior to receiving Christ, none of us are a part of the family of God. But because of God sending his son, his love transforms us, which is then what we come to in verse 4. And he says, but God being rich in mercy because of what? The great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It's because of his love We're alive in Christ and a part of his family. Because of God's love, we've gone from stranger to family. We've gone from child of wrath to child of God, and our salvation is solely based upon the love of God. Solely based upon his love and his grace. Because he loves us when we didn't love him. So, this is not a perfect example at all, but when Steph and I, we fly to Thailand, and we we get Caleb and we adopt him, he becomes a part of our family because of our love for him. He doesn't even know us hardly. I mean, we've sent pictures now. 
But he doesn't know us. So when we come, or when we go, and we get him, and we adopt him, his identity changes. Now he becomes a part of our family. And that only happens because of love. We're not doing it because we hate him. We're doing it because we love him, and we're going over there to get him. In a much more extravagant way, the Father's love uh, transforms and brings us into his family forever and gives us a new identity. And this is something we all need because you know and I know that broken families exist in this world. And in this room, there are probably, you know, probably within every one of our families, there's broken families. You go far enough and we probably don't have to go very far. We have broken families. Some of you don't even know your mother or your father. Some of you don't know your children. Some of you don't, uh, some of you have experienced rejection of family members. Sin, since the beginning of creation, has ravaged families. That's what it does. It tears them apart. Started right there with Cain and Abel. Cain, God likes Abel better. Go kill him. Okay. Started right there in the very, very beginning. But when we come to faith in Jesus... You've been saved by the Father's love. You're now part of His family. A family that will never be broken. A family that will never be ravaged by sin. You have a Father who loves you perfectly. And He will go to great extremes to show you that love. And if you ever forget that, look at the cross. If you ever wonder, will God really do a lot to show that He loves me? Will God really help me in this situation? Just look at the cross and remember, God loves you extravagantly and He will go to the greatest extremes to show it, even if it meant crushing His Son to do it. Like, that's amazing. Like, we've been brought into the family of God by His love. And it's a family. You'll never be removed. And this is side note some people wonder can we ever lose our salvation? We've been adopted into his family. You don't get removed from family. Like we might say in, in, in our circles today, we might say, well, you know, my son did something. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to say he's my son anymore. But that doesn't change that he is your son. There's really no way to get out of family. But when we come to the Father's love, not only will he never say, man, Nick really messed up last week. I'm just not going to own him for the next couple of weeks. See if he can merit his way back in. No. We've been made a part of the family of God. Forever, His Spirit guarantees our identity in the family of God. There's no way around that. Side note. But we have to see this. We have to know. We've experienced a major identity transformation. We're now part of the family of God. And in fact, the bond we have with our believing brothers and sisters is closer, tighter, and more secure than the bond you have with your blood relatives. It is tighter and closer. Let me, let me just show. This is John 17. So Jesus, right before he goes to the cross, this is his prayer, otherwise known as the high priestly prayer, verses 20 through 23. He says, I do not ask for these only. I do not ask for only the disciples and the apostles, but also for those who will believe me through their words, so that's you and me, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. They also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you love me. Did you see it? 
We are one with one another. Jesus is praying. And trust me, God hears Jesus' prayers. We question whether sometimes he hears ours or not. He hears Jesus. And Jesus always prays perfectly according to the will of the Father. So he's praying that you and I are one as he is one with the Father. So our oneness is symbolic of the oneness within the Trinity. Like that... It should like blow our minds because we're not going to comprehend that today or ever. Like our oneness is the same that the Father has with the Son and with the Spirit. And he says, let them be one as we are one and I in them. So now Jesus is saying, and I am in them. So he is with us as the Father is in the Son. And so you and I are with the Father and with the Son all held together as one. Like, this is tight. This is a lot more than just some blood DNA relationship here. This is a divine transformation that now we're a part of the family of God. In Matthew 12, Jesus' family comes searching for him, so this is what happens. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand, now now listen, key word here, toward his disciples, we're trying to figure out who a disciple is, he said, here are my mother and here are my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Jesus just said, the Christian family supersedes a blood family. You see that? My my family's not, this is my family. Like, this is my family. Those who love me is what Jesus is saying. In 1 John, we're told that we have been born of God, that we abide in him. And the amazing thing, he says, and I abide in them. That God abides in us. I say this, and I keep repeating, and I'm probably going to be pretty redundant as we go through this message, because it is of paramount importance that we know that we are part of the family of God. Our citizenship is of the kingdom of God, and our family is the, blood, is the body of Christ, with Christ as the head and God as our Father. So, I wasn't feeling very well last night, so I was excused from dinner. <laughs> I went to go lay in my bed, because uh, I was crying. Not really, but I felt like I was crying because tears were running. And so uh, we right now have Stacy, Stephanie's sister, and her son Colton at our house. And so my kids love Colton, and I'm pretty sure Colton loves my kids still. And although it's fun what what other kids can get another kid to do. But anyways, that's another story. Uh, But if I'm in the bed, I don't know if I like fell asleep or all, but I'm hearing like squeals of joy and laughter. Like it is just fun. And so in my head at that moment, I said to myself, I really wish we were closer to family. But then right after I had that thought, I went, wait, that is a terrible way to say that. I should say it sure would be nice if Stacy and her family were closer. Because I'm surrounded by family. We need to get that ingrained in our heads. Like right now, you are family. Like I'm surrounded by family. Because we, if we have faith in Jesus, are made a part of the family of God. I may want certain members to be closer than other members. (laughs) We all want that at times. But we are family, which means you're not alone. 
So Steph and I, we moved here 2,000 miles from Michigan, which we had no family in Michigan. Blood DNA. We have no blood DNA up here that we know of. But we're not alone. We're not alone at all. We're surrounded by family. But so often the way we think, it denies that. Me, just whimsically saying, man, I wish we lived closer to family. I am next to family. I got a hundred people right here, family. Brothers and sisters and mothers closer than blood family. Let us know that. Let us know that. The church is family. So who are we? We are family. So a disciple is family. So get to know that. When we're saved by the faith in Jesus Christ, we become a part of the family of God. We are a child of God. So we saw who is God. God is love. Therefore, what does he do? He reveals himself in love, which he sent his son to the cross that we might become a part of his family. And if we are a part of his family, then what do we do? And I don't think it's a very hard stretch because I believe the word love is used like 20-something times in the chapter we read. So you can just guess what we're called to do. So let me start by saying, whatever God has done to us, he also wants to do through us. I was reminded of that truth this last weekend when the speaker actually, I just, I stole that from him. Um, But it's true. Whatever God has done to us, he also wants to do through us. Whatever God has done to us, he also wants to do through us. So we've seen that God is love. So therefore, what do we do? We love. Whatever God has done to us, in love he made us a part of his family. Therefore, he now, through us, loves. And we will see that now. Um, We're just going to walk through the passage. I'm just going to shout out verses and read one and keep going. Verse chapter 4, 7. Let us love one another, for love is from God. We're to love others because God is in us. We are in him, and his love is flowing through us. That's why. He's in us, therefore his love comes out of us. Again, in 4.7, whoever loves has been born of God. Again, we're part of the family of God. We've been made new, we're part of his family, and therefore we love. In chapter 4, verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God. So how can John say that? That's pretty cruel, right? I mean, are we getting legalistic? I mean, you better love because you say you're a Christian. Well, John explains, because God is love. When by faith we come to know God, who abides in us? God. Who is God? Love. You try to hold back God. You try to hold him back. How is that possible? How can we not love? If God abides in us and we abide in God, we love because he's in us. That's why he can boldly say, whoever loves has been born of God. Yes, you have to love. Why? Because God is in you, loving through you. Transforming us apart that we are a part of his family. In chapter 4, verse 11, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. John can't be more clear. The church, Christians, are to be full of love. The church is to be the most loving community this world has ever seen. That's who we are. We are saved by love, and love is always a form of grace. So if you're sitting there, why aren't we saved by grace? Yes, grace is always part of love. You can't divorce grace and love. We're saved by love that we would love. 
In other parts of Scripture, we are told that the church is the body of Christ, which means Jesus is the head of the body. So I ask you, should not the body reflect the head? Of course it should. The head does not learn from watching the body. Rather, the head informs the body of what to do. And so if Christ, who is love because he is with God and he is God, is love, and he is our head, and we are the body, what does the body do? Go ahead. We love. It's okay, you can shout it out. We love. He is the head, directing us, empowering us, strengthening us. Our every action is being formed by our head, Jesus Christ. Notice verse 13. We're told that we've been given the Spirit of God. He gives us When we come to faith, he gives us a spirit that dwells in us. And the spirit does many things. We saw that a couple weeks ago. He intercedes for us in prayer. He protects us. He guarantees us of our inheritance. He seals us as part of the family of God. And he transforms us that we become more like Jesus. So hear this. Because the Holy Spirit is God. God dwells within his people so that he would be revealed Through his people. God dwells within his people so he would be revealed through his people. God dwells within you so your life would reveal God. That's one of the major reasons you have the Holy Spirit in you, is that you reveal God in how you live. And because God is love, He dwells within us, and we love. This is why in verse 21, it says it extremely boldly, whoever loves God must also love his brothers. It's not an option, but rather it's a way of life because we've had a major identity transformation. Children of wrath to sons and daughters of God. Our sin has been taken upon Jesus. Wrath has been removed from us, adopted now into the family of God and dwelt by the Spirit of God that we love. Don't glaze over this. It's easier, of course. Yeah, we're loving. God crushed His Son so we would love. Like He's serious about us loving. This is how God reveals his love. Crushing his son at the cross, three days later rising him, raising him from the dead, that you and I would be saved so that we would what? Love one another, thus reflecting him in all that we do. So God is very serious about us loving one another. This is something we need to think about every single day and every conversation we have and regularly repent of. If you're like me, we don't love a lot. Or it's easy to like love certain people because they're loving, but if they're not loving, then I can come up with lots of reasons why not to love them. But Jesus loved us when we didn't love him, so therefore, we love at all times. And that's why we need the Spirit, because we need a divine act of God within us so that we love one another. That's okay for you to say you need a divine act of love, or divine act of God so you can love me. It's okay because I need the same to you. It is. Like, it's so true. Look at verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Now, this is different than saying we give $20 because we receive $20. 
Someone giving me $20 does not necessarily make me want to give $20 away. It makes me put it in my pocket and go buy something. I might not give $20 away. But this is where it's different, and we have to get this. When God loved us, and by his grace, he transformed us, now we love because his love flows through us. Notice in verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not, whom he has, whom he has not seen. The proof of our love for God is seen by our love for others. That's the very proof. This is, this is where we work this out. Right here with amongst, amongst each other, with our neighbors, with our co-workers, with the paper boy, with the really slow person at the grocery store line at times. At all times, it's in this world, in this realm, in our horizontal relationships that we reveal our love for God by our love for one another. John writes this not so that we'd be guilty or have feelings of guilt and shame. So he's not trying to say, man, you, you really ought to love and because you don't, you're terrible. I mean, God, God probably hates you and wants to spite you. He's not, he's not writing it to guilt and shame us that we love. He's writing it so that we're encouraged and we have confidence that we're saved. He's saying, when you love other people, know that you're saved. Let that be assurance to your soul that, that you are saved by God, that his grace has come upon you and transformed you. So I go to a local coffee shop quite a bit. I go to several. I try to go to particular ones a lot, though, so I can build relationships with people because I work with a lot of Christians. So I got to go find non-Christians to talk to a lot of times, and, uh, which is great because I love it. But uh, every time I go there, I see a man he obviously has great needs, and I, I always try to talk to him. And so, so you know, this is how I do it. When I meet people, I put their names in my phone and where I met them, and maybe even a description, because when I see them again, I want to call them by their name. So I need a lot of help. So you can use whatever tool you use, but I use my phone, note section, met this person at this place, this is what he does, this is everything I know about him, and I write it down. So then next time I come up, I can say his name, and I, I just want to show that I care. So anyways, so I go, and I've been developing a relationship with this guy. This last week, though, I saw him again, and I found myself just automatically saying, what can I do to help you? I mean, it's obviously he has needs. I said, what, what can I do to help meet your needs? I said, I have no idea if I can or not, but, but let me try to help in some ways. And so he began just to list some ways, and so um, I began helping him. But in the back of my mind, so I have this text. I'm wrestling with this text. And in the back of my mind, so I have 1 John 4 going through my head right now. As I'm talking to him, and my head was saying, this is literally pretty much verbatim how this is going on while I'm talking to him, is going, man, the only reason you're loving this guy right now is because God loves you. It's because of Jesus Christ. You're loving him. The love that I was showing him was not because of anything that was special in me. I don't say this because, man, you should be like me because I'm loving. It's not about that at all. It's as I was loving him, I was sitting there going, the only reason that I'm offering resources that God has given me to a guy I have no idea who he is really, it has to be because of God. It has to be. It's God's love flowing through me. So don't misunderstand me. I was not loving him, hoping God would save me. I, was, I found myself loving him because God has loved me and saved me. It was just coming out. And, and at that moment, I was filled with joy and assurance. I was going, wow, this is amazing. 
Like literally, what John is saying is you've been given, you've been given the Spirit so that you will love. So when you, when you love others, know that you have the Spirit. And when you love others, know that you're saved because that's God working through you and that's Him abiding in you and you abiding in Him. And at that moment I'm talking to Him, I'm going, that's all happening. Like I am saved. I know I'm saved. That's how God gives us assurance of our salvation. By living faithfully and obediently to Him, confirming His Word in our lives. You see, love is outward moving. Love is not able to be restrained. That's why in 4.7, we're told, love one another, for love is from God. Love comes uh, from God, fills believers so that we love. This is why you'll see Christians going to parts of the world, risking their lives to share the gospel. It's all out of love, love for God and love for others. They're not earning their way to heaven. They're simply going to these other parts of the world. They're going across the street or wherever it might be, risking their life, risking their reputation, risking their resources, risking whatever because of love. Love can't be held back. It's not able to be restrained. It must go forth. Love is also tangible. In 1 John 3.18, John writes, Little children... Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Love is more than words. It always will find expression in action. Now, it's good to use words, but it will always find expression in action. Think back over verses 9 and 10. What if they read this way? So I'm going to read how they're not really read. So we're all clear on that. I'm not translating the Bible. I'm not saying it should be read like this way. Just imagine if it was read this way. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God thought about how much he loved us and wanted for us to live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but he thought about how much he loved us. Would John be saying, this is the way God has showed his love for us, that he thought about us? No. It's through the act of the sending of his son that he reveals his love. Love must be expressed. It's more than thoughts. It always will find expression in its action. If a husband told his wife that he loved her every single day, but he never helped her around the house, never brought her flowers, never uh, went to work, he was just a bum sleeping on the couch, watching TV, uh, never went on walks with her, never did anything for her, does he love her? But he said he did. I mean, he'll say, I really do love her. But he has no physical sign of love or affection for her at all. Those are empty words. Those are empty words. Love is not empty. Love is full. And it finds itself revealed in actions. Now perhaps at this moment, you're here and you're saying, I don't think I'm very loving at all. (laughs) Because I had that thought this week. (laughs) Not about you, but about me. I was like, really, I was like, man, I was supposed to be really loving, like all the time. That's a lot. What do I need to do? You might be thinking that right now. All right, all right, Nick. Obviously, the word says 
God is love. He reveals his love uh, through the cross, and he gives himself to us that we would love. So I get that I'm supposed to be love. Apparently, I don't love very well, so somehow I found a secret way of holding God back, putting a little seatbelt on him. Um, what do I need to do? I, if that's your question, which is where most of us all go, that's where we start off wrong. It's not what do we need to do. It's who am I? Who am I? Because who we are informs what we do. If you know who you are, then you don't need to be told what to do. You get that? It's when I know I'm a part of the family of God and that we're family that I love. It's when I forget that. (laughs) I don't want to love you. I won't love anyone. Question is not what do I need to do, but who am I? God is love, and He revealed His Son, and He revealed His love by sending His Son to the cross. By faith in the Son, we're made new, we're made in the family of God, and indwelt by God. And because we've been made new, given this new family of God identity, we love others. We do not do acts of love as a chore or as a means of earning salvation, but we love because we are a loving because we are a loving family. So if we as the church are to live lives of love towards one another, it will only be as we come back to the cross. It's at the cross we know God We know that God is love, and we know how God has revealed his love by sending his son, crushing him at the cross as a propitious offering, removing wrath and sin from us, that we would become a part of the family of God. If you live 80 years as a Christian, you will never graduate from the cross. Okay, you never go, okay, I got the cross, now, now what do I need to study? Everything in scripture is studied through the lens of the cross. Everything. If you forget the cross, you'll miss everything else. So when we struggle with loving one another, we're having an identity issue, which means we're having a salvation issue. And I'm not necessarily saying you're not saved, but it could mean that. Because remember earlier he says, if you don't love your brothers, how can you say you love God? If you don't love those whom you see, how can you love him whom you have not seen? So if we don't love others, we need to question, do we actually know God? But often, as Christians, what we forget is our identity. And what we do is need to continually come back to the cross, being reminded who God is, what he has done, how he has made us a part of his family, and dwelt us with his spirit, adopted us into his family, and now abides in us that we would love others. And then we go, oh, I can love others because it's God working through me. Because my identity is tied up in him. If we live as Christian for 80 years or more, then for 80 years, you'll be made more and more like Jesus. And therefore, you'll be more and more loving over time. So don't, don't kick yourself where you're at right now. Maybe a little. But know that God's progressing you. That's what, use the word perfected several times. In the text that we're in, he's perfecting himself in us. And over time, we come more and more like him. First Corinthians 3, it talks about by degree, by degree, by degree. And some of you know exactly what that means. It's like one degree a year at times. And sometimes it's like one degree a day. But other times it's like, man, 
This transformation process is a little slow. God, God's like, yeah, well, you should see what I'm working with. <laughs> like it is. But over time, he makes us more and more like him, which means we become more and more loving over time. So one of our goals every year should be, God, as I begin 2014, refresh, refresh my faith. Help me to know exactly who I am in you. Because at the end of 2014, I want to know that I'm more like you and that I'm loving more as you have called me to. Let that be mile markers in our lives, encouraging one another that we love. Now, a common, re- um, a common reaction to, well, so we're supposed to love everyone is, well, what if those people don't love us? Or, um, or if I love them, they're probably going to do something for themselves and probably abuse it. Like if I, if, if I love a homeless guy and give him money, what if he just uses that for drugs or something? And then we come back to verse 10 and we read, he loved us when we did not love him. See, God didn't wait for you and I to stop messing up, get our lives right, get our lives straight, come to him with our tuxes on and however else you want to present yourself and say, God, look, I'm clean. Now you can help me. But Romans 5 says, God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's when we're messed up, God graciously poured out his love and saved us. Why do we put conditions on all our love? Why do we do that? That's sin. We're to love as God loves. And he loves graciously. And I'm not saying don't be responsible. But I'm saying let us not try to keep putting conditions on the way we love one another. Well, if only I know all the factors, well, then I love. If I know exactly how he'll spend this money, then I'll love him. That's not loving. You're just doing it for yourself or something. But let us love the way God loves. And yeah, will we get taken advantage of? Yeah, probably. Jesus got put on a cross for loving the world. So yeah, it's going to happen. Let us love. Let's not try to put conditions. Husbands, wives, let's not put conditions on our spouses. Let's not put conditions on our children. Children, don't put conditions on your parents. Well, maybe if they did this, I'd be more loving to them. No, we love because God lives in us and his love flows through us. So let me just give three quick ways um, we handle uh, this gets lived out because we're family and we love one another. Three quick ways. We handle problems differently. Meaning no longer your problems, your problems, and my problems, my problems, but our problems are our problems. Because we're family, right? We are family. Therefore, if I'm struggling, you're struggling. If you're struggling, I'm struggling. If I'm crying up here, you all better be crying with me with allergies too. Um, can you imagine a teenager girl coming home telling her parents got telling her parents that she got raped and then saying, okay, well, that's good, dear. See you later. But how often does stuff happen like that in the church? A person loses his job. A person gets verbally abused somewhere. Someone someone experiences a death. Well, I hope they're fine. But we love differently now because we're family. So now it's how do I come alongside them? How do I help them? How do I show love? When one of us struggles with finances, with anger, with marriage, with parenting, we don't run away, or we don't just simply say, I'll pray for you, and then not pray for them. Now, prayer is awesome. You know, we spent a couple weeks looking at prayer. Prayer is powerful. But we're not called to only pray, but we're called to also help in other ways too. I'm not discounting prayer at all. 
I'm saying God has given us resources, abilities that we could dig in and help one another's family. We also talk differently. It's easy for us to complain about other people. Do you do that? I'm good at it. I got 34 years of practice. Some of you have more practice. It's okay. I'm catching up. It's easy to be bitter when people operate below our expectations. It's easy to slander others when they don't do what we think they should do, right? I mean, someone doesn't do what we think. Well, I'll, I'll go tell someone about them. That's what we do. We go home to our spouses and we rant. I, I do that too much probably. Um, but we're filled with God's love. So how does that work in our language? Well, in 1 Peter 4.18, it says, above all, um, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, that's a whole other sermon, but he's saying something pretty powerful here. Love covers sins. So when you're offended, you don't necessarily have to react. Well, I'll go tell him how he offended me. You don't have to. Love covers that. I just got hurt. Love covers that. It heals you. It's going to cover that. You don't have to become bitter. Love covers that. God dwells in you. That his love not only flows through you to others, but it also is applied to your life too. This means Christians, we're not easily offended because love covers offenses. Think about the things we get offended over. Isn't it ridiculous? It's ridiculous, most of the things. When we're wronged, love covers. When we hurt, love covers. I'm not saying we never bring things up, but so often we talk about all the silly, stupid things. And we don't let love cover offenses. We also use our stuff differently. Whatever God has given you, he's given you, that you would use it to bless others, that you would use it to bless the family, believers and unbelievers. Your cars, your money, your furniture, your extra bedrooms, your time, your DVDs, whatever. You just fill that in. I throw DVDs in. If you know me, I have a real hard time sharing DVDs. Simple things. Um, But God gives us these things that we would share. It's hard for me. It is. DVD, simple things like that. They're going to scratch it. I know they will. They probably like take it home and dance all over the DVD. <laughs> like that's what I have in my mind. No, I don't want you to give you that. No, I don't want you to borrow my book. You'll probably break it and burn it or something. That's what goes through my head. But then I have to remind myself that God has given his son, held nothing back, loving extravagantly, that we would know love. How do I give the things that he has given me and hold them open so that God may use those very resources to bless others? Stephanie and I, we've had the privilege of opening our house and having someone live there for the last six to eight months or 10 months. I don't know how long. Um, It's great. We love that. We always want people to be able to live with us. Um, That one was an easier one for Steph and I to do. DVDs I'm working on. (laughs) But the things God has given us, he's given that we would use them to love others. As we close, I want us to pray that God, that God helps us know who he is, what he has done, therefore who we are and what we do. Let us pray that we know the spirit of God dwells in us and living through us. Let us pray, John 13, 35, where Jesus says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's how. It's love. So I know we're going late, but uh, Phil, you want to come up? And we'll do a couple questions if we have a couple. 
And I know, that, so we're going to do this for the next couple of weeks, and it's mainly so, it's probably something I say weird at times, or I get something, or, or a thought goes through your head. I know there's times that you have questions, and I want this to be able to uh, be a time we can answer those. We do texting primarily, because then I know sometimes it's like, I don't really want to raise my, <clears throat> raise my hand. So texting is kind of that helpful way. Uh, if you don't have a phone, someone next to you does, uh, or you can raise your hand, but go ahead. All right. Um, our first question is, how do I love when the person I'm trying to love won't let me love them? That's a good question. Phil? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, good question. I, I guess I would look at, what do you mean you can't love them? Um, being patient with them, continue to be along, continue coming alongside them, uh, not leaving them. When they push you away, don't go away. Most likely that person doesn't know love. Most likely they've never been shown love. Most likely a person like that will come from broken relationships, which we all have, but some of us are very deeply scarred. And when we get started and when someone starts to love us, we freak out and we want to run away because we don't know that. We think they're going to hurt us. We think something's going to happen. So by persistence and endurance, you will show that person love, which is exactly what God does for us. Because we, we at times, we push away God at all, I mean, every day um, through our sin. And, he, and he's, he's given us his spirit. He says, I'm not leaving you. I'm not leaving you. I'm going to keep working in you. And we have that promise in Philippians 1, 6 that he's going to complete the work he began in us. So I, I would say just love as God loves. Be persistent. Don't give up. Uh, ask God for creative ways. Um, if God is love and his love is in me, then how do I love others who seem unlovable? These are good. <laughs> it's, it's, it's where we're at. Like, I mean, it's like I was wrestling with these. I was like, man, what are they going to ask today? <laughs> um, so if God's in us and, and he loves, how do we love those who don't want to be loved? Mm-hmm. Um, or they seem unlovable. Or they seem unlovable. Well, that's exactly who we are before God. I mean, God loves us when we don't want to love him. Um, we're going to run into that every single day, whether it's at work, uh, whether it's within our own families. Um, we can find that within the family at church at times. We're going to have people and we're going to offend each other and, and we're not going to want to love other people. So how do we love them? How do we not give up on them? How do we, uh, I think fruit of the Spirit would be helpful. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All eight of those, I mean, there's nine, but all the, the last eight, first one's love. They're all characterized with love. You don't have a patient person that's unloving. You ever see that person? They're not patient. If you're patient, you're loving. If you have self-control, you're loving. So love flows through all of those. So I would say begin praying the fruit of the Spirit that you might be able to love. Um, and our, I think our last one for today is going to be, I came from a very messy family, like their background. Uh, how do I love people like family when my view of family isn't great to begin with? Through the Spirit of God. I think that's where we're all at. In one way or another, we're all broken. Uh, we all come from some sin-ravaged family. Some of ours might be less obvious, um, but we all have pains and scars, and we desperately need the Spirit of God to help us. And that's where I love Romans 5.5. 5. Um, it talks about we've been given the Spirit of God, and one of the amazing roles of the Spirit is to simply pour love into our lives. Like, that's one of the things the Spirit does. He just 
pours love. Like I, I, when I think of that, I think of like one of those big 50-gallon drum barrels, and he's just like sitting there like with love going into me. That, that's my, <laughs> that helps. But that's me. Um, we need the Spirit of God to work in us that we can love because we all have scars. We all have sin, and um, we need that continual renewing to be made more like Christ. Um, so those are good. Uh, we'll keep doing more questions. Uh, sometimes we'll have a little bit more time. We went a little late today. Um, but thanks for asking those. I'm going to, to pray, and then the team will come up and close us in a couple songs. Our Father, we love you. And we love you because you are love, and you live in us that we would love. And that is so amazing. Yeah, I, I, I pray that I, that we, that TBC, that we love We love because you loved us. We love because you're in us. We love because you abide in us and we abide in you. And I pray that as we love, you increase our assurance. You increase um, our confidence that we're saved in you. And you fuel us that we would love more and more. God, heal us of the sins that we have. Heal us of the hurts and pains and scars that make it so difficult for us to love. Remind us regularly, daily, moment by moment, that you sent your son to die on a cross, that we would be made new, adopted into your family, given you who lives inside of us, that we would know that we are saved and that you would be lived through, loved, and that you would live through us as your love flows through us. In your name, Jesus, amen.